0: This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment, the conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to our new version of Just the Right Book called Just the Right Book Shorts. As we've talked about in the previous episodes, uh, Bill Goldstein, author, book critic extraordinaire, and I discussed just a couple of books, and the show's generally 15 or 20 minutes, and we're still figuring out whether we cover bestsellers, books coming out, or but we, we don't really know yet. So... Keep writing to us at podcast at R.J. Julia, and we're going to change this or adapt this based on what you all say and partly based on what Bill and I feel like doing. (laughs) So (laughs) I shouldn't say that. We're only going to do what you tell us to do. So anyway, I'm delighted to welcome you back to this episode. Bill, welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Roxanne.
0: And so let's start with what you've read and loved.
1: Well, then the first book I want to talk about is Beyond That, The Sea, a novel by Laura Spence Ash. And I believe it's a first novel. I should have checked that. But whatever it is, whether it's her first or third, it's very... uh, No, I'm looking at the biography. Uh, It is her first novel. She has published short fiction. So Beyond That, The Sea is a novel about a young girl who is sent from Britain at the start of World War II to live safely in America, and she lives with a well-to-do family in Maine. So as a young girl, she spends the years of the war as part of this family, and then after the war, goes back to England. And it's about those years during the war with the family. And it's also about the long-term effects of these experiences so different from her own family life, separated from her family, and how this American family becomes her new family, how she finds love and new relationships and new emotional connections. And what's so magnificent about it is that it spans from 1940, when it begins, to the 70s. What's magical about the book, and I'm always amazed by how important structure is Hmm. to the way you read a novel and the way you savor a novel, and it's not just plot or characterization, but I think The invisibility sometimes of the structure makes you forget that that's what the novelist's gift often, that's the most crucial gift, is how the story is told. So here we get extremely short chapters, sometimes a page, a page and a half, told from different characters' point of view, not first person, but a very close third-person narration, seeing things through these people's eyes, whether it's the members of the American family, uh, this woman whose name is Beatrix, or her family back home. And what it reminded me of, not only because it's set during World War II, is the novel All the Light We Cannot See by mm. Anthony Gore, which had also extremely short chapters in service of a very different kind of story. That was a thriller, almost page-turner, what was going to happen to this young blind girl in war-torn France. Here, we have a much more kind of internal storytelling, emotional storytelling, although there's no lack of, uh, you know, sort of realistic incident too. And so the way in which short chapters would paradoxically bring you deeper into the story and keep you turning Mm. pages very quickly in the best possible way. And so that way it's sort of an internal story and an external story and moving very quickly through time in a narrow way. I mean, we learn a lot about what happens in 1940, 1941, 1942. And just to finish in my enthusiasm for every element of this book, the design of the book is really beautiful because along the bottom margin of the pages is a timeline of that section. So we see, I think it's 1940 to 1942, 1945 is about the first 150 pages. And as we move through time, you see the color of the timeline, slightly changing. And it's just it's just a beautiful book to look at. It's a beautiful book to read. And Laura Spence-Ash is a marvelous creator of character as well as a really dramatic storyteller, making a family drama a real drama.
0: So, Billy, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, which your comments on this book, now, of course, I want to read it, is what makes a book, and I'm, I'm not looking for us to answer this, I'm just posing the question for us to explore over subsequent episodes. I'm fascinated what it is that makes one drawn into a book. Because, you know what, as I think I've said on the show, I probably only finish one out of ten books, that I start and I give less and less time to them, which is not, you know, which is mean on my part, but you know, there's just so many books to read. So as we talk about these books, I do think the idea of short chapters, I mean, I was thinking about that when I talked about the Sebastian Barry book, because Sebastian Barry is the opposite kind of book. It Mm -hmm. is langorious instead of propulsive you surrender to the beauty of the writing even though there's a almost tidiness to the story you know it's both small and then hugely universal so i think this idea of talking about like you did what it is that makes the book so intoxicating quickly is fun for us to explore
1: in other books, I've been allergic, if not you know, repulsed by two short chapters, which gave right. me a kind of shorthand. You know, oh well, like a J- I mean, uh, I know James Patterson has his fans, and I'm not a big mystery reader. But short chapters in James Patterson signal one thing: short chapters in All the Light We Cannot See, or in Beyond That, the C C S E A, not S-E-E as in Anthony Doerr's book. You know, that's something that I usually wish. You know, for longer chapters where you can sink in. And that's what the surprise is that you do mm-hmm. sink into this story, even though the chapters are very short. The other thing is a lot of it is narrated in the present tense, which often I find off putting, especially for a historical novel, which this is. And yet, Hilary Mantel's books, you know, Wolf Hall, The Mirror and the Light, Bring Up the Bodies, those are all narrated in the present tense. And I couldn't have found them more beautiful and more enveloping.
0: Yeah. So that's why I want to keep exploring this, because I think I I feel confident we're not going to find a single answer that if we could figure out the formula of what makes someone not put a book down, you and I should like give up the show and form a publishing company but <laughs> exactly. we're not going to come up with that answer but I think it's fun to explore so speaking of short I have been wanting to read Jess Walter for ages and he's a National Book Award finalist his book We Live in Water Barack Obama picked is one of its favorite books in 2019 and this collection of short stories although one of the stories is not that short, is called A Glorious Addition to his writing. So what attracted me to reading Jess Walter is I find most books that are supposed to be funny are not, or they're sort of goofy funny, which I don't like goofy funny. So I thought, all right, is Jess Walter really funny? And did I want to read him? So I read the title of the book story, The Angel of Rome. And then I read Mr. Voice and, oh, Fran's friend has cancer. This book is not only really funny, it's funny in that dry-witted way. Mm-hmm. Like in in the story of Fran's friend has cancer, you have a middle aged couple or maybe a little older than middle aged sitting in a restaurant having a kind of tit for tat conversation between a husband and a wife that we would all recognize. They're sort of talking at cross purposes, said, I thought you weren't going to see her son, because they're a second marriage. She's no, I told you I was going to go see him. And and then they're talking about Fran's friend has cancer. Well, who's Fran? You know who (laughs) Fran is. We talked about, you know, this kind of, well, all along it turns out that there's a man who's a writer, and he was told by his writing instructor to just go to a cafe and write down what he overhears. And the grumpy middle-aged guy figures that out, and then Attacks him while he's been attacking his wife. So in this story that sounds both incredibly realistic, it's funny because you realize this is what goes on and and Jess Walter is just sort of exposing it for its humor. But what Jess Walter does underneath all of this is what makes it so smart it gets to the core of how people think of themselves and how they think they're being viewed Mm -hmm. in the midst of this kind of humor, like the lead story angel of room is this blue collar guy whose mother thinks he's going to be a priest. And he's been taking Latin at his Catholic school and she finds this Vatican program And because this girl that was an it girl in high school said she was going to be in Italy, he decided to apply for this program that's really for like priests and Latin scholars. And he ridiculously runs into a well-known Italian actress and becomes great friends with her. Now, if this sounds ridiculous and improbable, (laughs) it's all of those things. And this actor this U.S. actor hires him as a translator because he thought he said he was studying Italian, not Latin. So in the translations, you've got like a lot of mixed messages and screw-ups going on. So these are short stories by definition. They range from, you know, 15 pages to 100 pages. But what Jess Walter delivers is fun kind of the craziness that exists in real life you know he sort of exposes it but with kindness Mm -hmm. it's not like exposing somebody's you know foibles with a kind of a judgment or meanness he actually loves these characters that expose themselves and at the end of the day I really love the part that we set out to sort of pretend to be somebody and often find ourselves incapable of being that pretend person. And can we, or how do we then really find out who we actually are and give sort of air, air meaning Mm A-I-R, to that person to evolve and exist?
1: Well, you've sold me on the (laughs) short story. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I have to say I, I'm i surprised at myself for not having read The Angel of Rome because I'm a major fan of Jess Walter and he has written some fabulous historical novels, also you know, contemporary novels. But if you are eager to read more of him, I would suggest Beautiful Ruins, which was published That's
0: on my list now about
1: 10 years ago. It sort of imagines Italy in the uh, somewhat La Dolce Vita era, but it's Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton and then fictional characters uh, at the time that Cleopatra is being filmed. And The Cold Millions, I just loved. And in fact, during the pandemic, there was a charity auction, booksellers put up things for auction to raise money for independent bookstores at some point during the pandemic. And I bought a collection of Jess Walter first editions that had been inscribed to the owners of Village Books, which is a, a Washington... Uh, yeah, state Bellingham. Books are, yes, Dee and Chuck Robinson, I think their last names yeah, are. Yeah, that's right. Their last name is. And uh, they they contributed these. So I have a collection of Jess Walter. First editions, and I love his work. The Financial Lives of Poets, I think was the name of his first novel, and it's as curious and as wonderful as the title.
0: All right. Now we're going to take a left turn. (laughs) Yes. We're going to take a complete left turn from this conversation and tell us about your next book.
1: Yes. The next book I wanted to talk about is The Odyssey of Phyllis Wheatley, which is a biography of the poet Phyllis Wheatley, who was an African-American woman in the Revolutionary War Era, and she published her book of poems in 1773. And she was the first Black woman and also the third woman in all of the American colonies to publish a book of poetry. She was freed. I mean, Wheatley uh, was the name of the family that had owned her, and she was. I'm sorry she was freed in 1773 I'm now rem- and and she published her book in 1767 so those were the two major milestones that I was confusing and it's by a writer named David Waldstriker who tells the story not only of her life I mean it's a very wonderfully researched book. I mean, as a biographer uh, myself, I love to read footnotes too. So just where did they find this information? How did they find this? What archive is this quote from? What is this detail? Where is the source of this detail? And so there's a great historical excavation in terms of documenting her life in a fuller way than has really ever been done. And also analyzing her posthumous life as this singular poet in American history and the different ways work has been interpreted and also the ways in which as a black woman, she was seen either to sort of not collude, that's that's not sort of confirm some of the worst ideas of Africa, and then also the way in which she lives through the dilemma, the conundrum of American freedom and American slavery at the birth of the Republic. It's a beautifully written book, and I thought it would be a perfect book for someone to mark National Poetry Month, which is April. April is National Poetry Month. And so the first black woman poet, the first black poet and the third woman. Um, So we go back to the roots of American poetry in the Odyssey of Phyllis Wheatley. I learned so much. I mean, it's so interesting to me how you in grade school in junior high school in high school, you often hear these names of the important figures in American history and you have a dim memory of the name Phyllis Wheatley, from when you were learning about American literature in your uh, your youth, and then when you realized the the importance of this figure in American history, and not just as something that you should memorize for a social studies exam, uh, it it really was a brilliant book.
0: So, Bill, I knew you were going to talk about that book, and it made me want to mention a book that I read for our long-form Just the Right Book, and I had interviewed the author, and the book is called Master, Slave, Husband, Wife by Ilyan Wu. And this is the true and extraordinary story of two enslaved people in Macon, Georgia. And Ellen Craft was so light, she could pass as white. And she disguised herself as a master and traveled, escaped her enslaved plantation with her husband, William Craft, he posing as her slave. And they managed to escape. And we don't need to go into the story. All of you listening could listen to the full interview. And I would urge you, urge you to read this book, which is Beautifully written and an extraordinary story on a million levels, but what your book and this book reminds me of, Bill, that we are seeing the flowering. Of, I don't. I don't like that word, but I, it's the only word that comes to my mind right now. Of these unknown people and corners of our history, that in this new understanding that history is written by the historian. Mm. And if they were of a type, maybe a white male, they were going to be concentrating on those stories. And the craft story, Phyllis Wheatley's story are important elements of our history. And it's exciting that they are now getting the light of day and hopefully will start to be more important parts of the curriculum that kids are seeing. So I, I'm thank you for the odyssey of Phyllis Wheatley. Of course, I'm going to read that. I don't know if you've read Master, Slave, Husband, Wife, but you're going to have to.
1: No, I, I haven't. And I have it. It is on my pile. And one of the things I love about doing this with you is learning about books either that I have and haven't gotten to, or in many cases, as we've talked over, over these weeks, about books that I had not noticed at all or had not realized. And I I love that we live in the same universe, but can often have overlapping uh, reading experiences and also parallel universes of reading experiences.
0: So Bill, I want to go back to a conversation. I want to close with this. In our last episode, you talked about Hello Beautiful, which is on the bestseller list. It's an Oprah pick, and you gave it a glowing review. And I sort of was passing it by as, you know, not important enough for me Mm -hmm. to pick up, which is obnoxious, but we'll go with that for a minute. Well, both Michael Selick, our producer, and I coincidentally both picked up the book. And both of us loved it, loved it. And what I want to talk about is that I think, you know, we're talking about what makes you engrossed in a book or not. And what I want to do is compare and contrast Hello Beautiful to Pineapple Street, which is by Jenny Jackson, which is either the editors picked or on the bestseller list. And Pineapple Street is a totally... So if I if I at some casual level compared Pineapple Street and Hello Beautiful I would say that it related to two families, the dynamics among the siblings, the impact of the way they were brought up, the family story, how that shaped them. They would both compare on that level. Right. They would both compare on the level of being propulsive to read. But I would describe Pineapple Street for the reader that wants 100% entertainment, just 100% entertainment. Whereas Hello Beautiful is going to sort of stick your face into your own screwy family and maybe some sort of deep things that you, it might trigger you thinking about. And so you would be entertained in the simplest sense, but you might also get dragged into a kind of self-examination that you're not in the mood for. So tell me if you think that that's a a reasonable way to describe the difference in those books.
1: I think that's a perfect way of describing it. I, I love how you say Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson is, is pure entertainment because it is a wonderful book to read. It moves along very quickly. It doesn't skip along. I mean, you know, it's it's a substantive book about a family, and yet it doesn't push you to wonder, as you say, about your own experience in a way that moves you. I love this about books, like when you're, you're reading something and it, it brings something to mind about your own life and you are reading the book and yet you're thinking about your own experience in a way that surprises you. And I do think Hello Beautiful does that. I mean, yeah. I think that it took its model in Little Women, it gives it, I think, uh, a sort of a basis in a kind of foundational story of American literature that, that makes it attempt, it, it's attempting something more mm-hmm. substantive and, and meets that goal. I mean, you know, you, you sometimes yeah. I don't want to make it sound as if like this is a self-conscious book. It's not a self-conscious book. No, no, not book. at all. And Pineapple Street reminded me very much of The Nest.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a perfect comparison to The Nest. I think that's right. But Billy, you know what it's reminding me of? And I don't know who I'm quoting this from. I want to say it's the essayist Wendy Lesser, but I'm probably making that up, Um, (laughs) that the experience between a reader and a book is one of the most intimate acts that we undertake in that we are open and vulnerable, but only to ourselves. It's private. It's totally private. There's not, and nobody's witnessing what we're thinking. Right. And so it feels intimate in the way that you're safe with your thoughts instigated by what you're reading.
1: I think that's wonderful. You know, it's like, I I would would also feel like with Hello Beautiful, I wanted, I read it and it stayed with me in a way that Pineapple Street was a wonderful book to read, over a long weekend and totally treasurable for that experience. Totally treasurable for that experience without it sort of staying in your mind a couple of months later. And yet, you know, you want both kinds of books in your life. And, you know, I think the fact that one is one kind and the other is, is slightly more probing is is why we move from book to book. We don't always want the same kind of book, so.
0: Okay, so we've managed to get ourselves excited about more books. Hopefully our listeners are also excited. The books that we talked about today are Beyond That, The Sea, Angel of Rome, The Odyssey of Phyllis Wheatley, Master, Slave, Husband, Wife, and Pineapple Street, by uh, Jenny Jackson. And again, we talked about Hello Beautiful. So there we have it. Again, Billy, many, many thanks. It's just, you know, if I wasn't annoyed that you keep making me want to read even (laughs) more books when I'm already behind, I would say I love, I love our conversations. Um, And based on the emails we're getting, Lots of folks are loving this conversation. So thank you for joining us on Just the Right Book Shorts. Email us at podcast at rjjoya.com and give us any suggestions, observations, uh, thoughts. And Billy, I'll see you in a couple of weeks.
1: I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And thank you, Roxanne, for having me. And I love hearing that people are loving it. It's just so gratifying. It's uh, fun are excited uh, about talking about books and then reading them. So yeah. uh, I love it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Thank you.
0: You are listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Gino Cardone at Pleasant Podcast. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I am Roxanne Cody. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any comments, observations, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at justtherightbook at rjjulia.com.